listening to episode 234 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Daigle. This week, we have Brian Nelson coming in. Uh, I had to run into an, uh, a situation where I needed to write some CSS and do some front-end stuff, and that's not something that I've been doing a lot of lately, and I thought, uh, who better to ask than our resident designer and uh, front-end person, Brian, uh, who's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the current CSS landscape and his experience using the different frameworks and precompilers and everything else like that, since that is something I know very little about. So uh, if that's your jam, listen in. Um, it should be, uh, it was that was a pretty good chat with him. So uh, I have been preparing for GitHub Universe, which is coming up uh, October 10th through 12th in San Francisco. Uh, it's an awesome conference uh, to check out. So if you're interested, you can Google that and get some information um, about that. Uh, I will be there along with a bunch of my colleagues who you've heard on the podcast and hopefully some of my co-hosts might uh, be able to come out. So uh, we'll see about that. But again, do the Google on that and you can learn more. This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored in part by Rollbar. Uh, if you write applications, you probably have some bugs in them. Uh, and there's better ways to find those bugs and help your users out than tailing some logs or looking through email exceptions uh, or using GitHub issues as your <laughs> bug tracker. So check out Rollbar. Uh, it's a very easy error monitoring where you get the full stack trace, context, and user data to help you find and fix impactful errors fast. You can integrate Rollbar into whatever your existing workflow is. That could be Slack or HipChat, uh, including things like Trello, Pivotal Tracker, and Jira. You can add the Rollbar Ruby SDK with gem install Rollbar and start tracking your application errors in minutes. It has a bunch of cool features I've talked about before, but I'm still madly in love with the ability to click the backtrace and link into your GitHub repos. That's super helpful. Um, I've used it uh, with our internal tool. It's really great. Uh, it also has great support for queue frameworks like Sidekick, Rescue, Delayed Job. You can configure Rollbar's front-end JavaScript SDK uh, without having to install it manually. Please, please go check it out. It's going to be worth your while. Go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up, and get the bootstrap plan for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Again, go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up, and you'll get the bootstrap plan for free. Thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring this podcast. Now, on to the show. So I made the really critical mistake of leaving the back end of software. <laughs> and uh, well, wait, when, uh, when and for why? Well, someone asked me for a favor and they were like, hey, can you help me figure out how to like make this thing, uh, you know, be real time? And I just need this box to have a rounded corner here. And yeah. so I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. So like I dive in and the last time I rounded the corner of something was when you used to have to use images to do it. Oh, gosh. It's been a while. It's uh, been a while. There's a great <laughs> so new, as, there's this really cool property called border radius, which has been around for like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's our, who was it? Was it Nicole Sullivan that tweeted? I forget. Uh, but basically like, um, like CSS is the, like everyone agrees CSS is the hardest programming language, but nobody gives the people who can code it any credit. Mm. And Do I, you agree I feel with like that? deep down I would, I, I mean, I don't know that it's the hardest, but I would say that we don't, we don't like we don't 
consider it a programming language. No, neither I don't know do. who I don't. in this scenario. I don't. But I mean, yeah, but I feel like it has like a some degree of like uh like ne- necessary mastery to really like conquer. Yeah, I guess. but I don't know. I don't know. I always felt like it's not like it the concepts aren't like crazy it's just a heck of a lot of memorization (laughs) you know (laughs) well yeah but then you like and this is kind of what i i was hoping we could talk about a little bit today after my just i'm not gonna say i'm just gonna say not that great so i roughed it so to finish that part of the story i got the real-time stuff working bada bing bada boom uh and then i uh was trying to get the css going and i had to and, and luckily, the person who was started this project had used Bootstrap, so I just, you know, mm. uh, a little bit of Google action, and, you know, found the things I needed to do, and then I realized, all right, well, I got to go check out Font Awesome, too, because it's using Font Awesome, and yep. I have to figure out the right icon, and then I had to center an icon in the middle of a circle, and that didn't work, and <laughs> and that was, and then That's I said, you know what? actually kind of challenging. <laughs> <laughs> this is my point, and I said, you know what? No. No, F, F your button with the circle, the icon in the middle. It's just going to be an icon. Deal with it. Yeah. Uh, which is not a good decision, like from a sort of professionalism or quality like, standpoint. <laughs> yeah, like a service provider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was just helping. Let me, let me be clear. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, and so while I was doing that, I had realized like from the days you and I had worked together, um, when I, when I was doing like you know more full stack, do you stuff have like in, a in, really newfound appreciation for what I did? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I. I, I don't. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, you're taking this the wrong way. I don't think that I ever didn't appreciate what you did. Uh, I think that I have always had a very healthy appreciation for anyone who works just enough. Uh, in, <laughs> just no, enough. No, it's no, it's it's like I don't know. I I feel like I feel like the interesting. thing thing about programming is that much of it i don't know that i'd say most but i'd say much of it is essentially like learning systems and rules and when to apply those system and rules Mm. right and i think in design you can say that some of it is that right maybe maybe half of it or whatever but there is like subjectivity taste and skill that like i feel like is there you know i guess we can leave skill out like a little bit because i don't want to say that you can't learn it if you try a lot but like there's something about does like visual design that like is, is a lot different. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, yeah. if I do X, Y, and Z, it works. It's like, okay, when I look at this graph, when I look at this page, like, is it clear to other humans what's happening? Whereas I'm just worried about getting the numbers for that page, you know? And so I've always appreciated that I, I think, and uh, especially, you know, working in other, in, uh, on other projects, with other teams that, you know, are those, those folks are just so crucial to getting out what we need to do. But the thing that I have lapsed on since those early days where you and I were using, oh man, what what was the Zurb thing called? Is that still around? Oh, foundation? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I, I actually, yeah, Foundation's actually really cool. Um, so I feel like that's when I like tapped out. Yeah. Like that's when I was like, all right, you know what? Uh, I think Bootstrap was coming on the scene. Yeah, like, and this is not my then thing. I, de- <laughs> I dedicated my career. <laughs> I dedicated my career to the back end. <laughs> fair um, fair it, enough. Tweet that. And so, uh, so along with the different CSS libraries and all the sort of precompilers and everything, I kind of wanted to get like have you give a little bit of, uh, you know, a lay of the land or or sort of what your preferences mm. are and and why, um, both on sort of the CSS library side, uh, and then also if you have opinions on the sort of like precompilers or you know uh, SAS, SCSS, less all that sort of stuff, and see. Oh, I have opinions. Um, you know. 
Yeah, like where, where you're at. So uh, this is our once-in-a-lifetime CSS Palooza episode. CSS Palooza. Uh, well, so let me back know. up for a sec. You said something interesting, which was programming is like learning a, a, like a set of rules and and kind of following those rules, right? And um, I don't remember the exact words you said, even though it was just a minute ago. But um, <clears throat> it was very smart, though. Yeah, it sounded. It was yeah. Um, the thing that I think that makes CSS so challenging is that, like, the syntax is almost custom, like depending on the rule that you're working with. You know, it's like there's a lot of different syntaxes to learn just to get CSS to work properly. Um, so it's not just one set of you know rules like uh, it doesn't it doesn't work as simply as something like Ruby does. Um, so don't feel bad, Kyle. <laughs> and so how do you like how do you mean exactly? I guess um, I'm not sure. I'm like following. Well, so like <clears throat> there's just a lot of little quirks and things that if you don't know that you don't know it, you're never going to find the answer to it. So like. For instance, you don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, I guess that's kind of like the programmer's dilemma, right? <laughs> like, but I'm pretty sure it's just life's dilemma. Life's dilemma. Um, like e- everything is so that like background, like the background property is shorthand for a whole bunch of different properties, uh, like background image and background size and background position. And there's an order to how that you have to put the you know the values in to get that uh, property to work correctly. Um, and then there's things like border, which is a shorthand for border, left border, right border. I mean, that's the wrong order, but it's a shorthand for all these put together. But then you have something like, um, I'm trying to think of one like font, uh, which is another shorthand property, uh, which combines all these other rules. Uh, but they're all, my point is that they're all different in almost every single case. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not a, and it's getting better, right? As they kind of revise specs and 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 move forward, things. Yeah, I was gonna say it, are it was my impression be, that yeah, getting a bit more consistent. Yeah, yeah, things seem to be more consistent, and there definitely seem to be a lot less, you know, per browser shenaniganry. Yeah, to, to get what you want to do. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, like the pre vendor prefixes are becoming a lot like less common on some of the stuff that. You know, I mean, they called it CSS3, um, like things like border radius used to need a, you know, a vendor prefix, but you can kind of get away with not doing that right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about, um, you were mentioning some of the tools, right? Yep. CSS, um, so CSS, you said wasn't really a programming language. I tend to agree. It's not, uh, you know, you're not doing math. Well, I guess... I'm, I lie. <laughs> you can do math now with calc and all these awesome properties like that. And CSS variables are becoming a reality. Um, and in like proper CSS. Yes. Really? Yeah. So like, Man. this is the thing See, that this I, is what I'm saying. I have no idea what's happening anymore. Yeah. So like, these are the things that I find super interesting and I'm not, I'm like the forefront of uh, all of these things either. So don't take me at my word, <laughs> but, um, I know that CSS variables have dropped in a couple browsers. Um, and, uh, and it's, what is really interesting to me is that, you know, the reason these are dropping in browsers is because of tools like SCSS, right? People are 
finding what they're missing and they're saying, man, I really wish we could have variables in CSS so we could reuse properties. And then they came up with mix-ins and, you know, all the stuff that you get with SAS and, and SCSS and less. Um, and then the, the, the people writing the specs and the browser vendors are saying, wow, this stuff is really great. Like what, we should just build this into CSS. And so the browser vendors are actually, I think the ones that are kind of pushing it forward a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're seeing it and they're just bu- building it in. Like, I think, I mean, Chrome is usually at the top of that and edge now is actually doing a really good job. Um, but it is interesting to see because people get used to a certain syntax and then you have to choose something. And so then you get these things where, um, like with border radius for a long time, there was, different syntaxes depending on the browser you were in and there were different vendor prefixes and that was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, and the same is true for things like the Flexbox properties. Um, most of the most of them you can just use the spec now, uh, but there were some, there was a time not too long ago when you would have to write, you know, four or five different variations on the same Flexbox rule, which is a, mm-hmm. like, to me, like a non-starter, like why bother with that? Because <laughs> it's just like way too much work. But there's tools like Auto Prefixer, which do a lot of that work for you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as far as like preprocessors and things like that, I mean, SCSS, I think, is kind of the, in my opinion, the winner um, these days. Um, why? <sighs> I used to love SAS, and I remember... Uh, when I interviewed, <laughs> when I interviewed at GitHub, yeah. I had, I had told someone, I think I'm sure I've told you this story. I had said, uh, at my interview lunch to two now coworkers, um, I was like, you know what I love? I really love Hamill and Sass. <laughs> like we hate those things. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure if they could have stopped the interview right then, like, and not gotten in trouble, they would. They're like, it's thank, all, all worked out. thank goodness he's but not going to be doing my, any front end work. <laughs> my tastes have changed, but yes, they did not let me near any HTML or ERB or anything since then. And so, like, I, I, I've been seeing, you know, I, I like I would agree with you, the general notion that SCSS seems to be kind of the most popular, but yeah. I, I will say that less, you know, has also seems to have quite the following. And so, I'm curious, I'm curious like so the things i like, like your, about, your experience with that. yeah the things i like about less and scss as opposed to sas is how close they are to css like less and scss at this point are almost identical except for like slight variations in the syntax and maybe like the special character that you use to denote a variable so like in scss it's a dollar sign and in less it's an at sign um but like variable usage is exactly the same um you know but the the beauty of it is you can basically just write regular CSS. So if you're good at that, or you know how to do that, you can write SCSS. Um, SAS always bugged me because it is dependent on the indentation. Um, and this is the problem that I had with Hamel too, and probably the problem that GitHub had with Hamel, <laughs> is that it's so strict. I mean, it's dependent upon the the tab, the, you know, tab indents that you have. So if you nest something incorrectly or you indent it by one space too far, the, the compiling doesn't work. Um, and it throws an error. And to me, that's like, uh, like too, it's like strict to the point of being annoying, (laughs) I guess. Um, and so less and SCSS allow you to just kind of write regular CSS, 
the spacing isn't as strict, um, but you know you can do awesome things like nest properties, um, and you know they'll compile out to the you know kind of the full property, um, or you can uh, use variables, mixins, um, extends, all sorts of beauty like that. I don't get into a ton of the like really crazy programmery parts of SCSS, like the extent, like some people will write, like if you look in the bootstrap source, for instance, there's some pretty crazy use of mix-ins and, um, you know, you can loop and iterate and do all sorts of things now. Um, pretty much in like our, like my day-to-day and my team's day-to-day, it's like variable usage and like a couple mix-ins and that's enough to speed up your workflow a ton. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that they're talking about adding CSS variables and things like that into the CSS language is really great because that's, uh, you know, less of a barrier. Uh, you don't need to, like the downside to these things is that you need to compile them somehow. You need a program to do it or you need to be running Ruby on your, you know, on your computer or something like that. For a lot of designers who are, you know, just comfortable with HTML and CSS, firing up a terminal or you know or a, a bash session or whatever, and figuring out how to do that can be a big barrier to entry. So, the, so then, how do you feel about like the asset pipeline nowadays? Uh, like, do you have any feelings about that? Or the, <laughs> I know when it came out, it like where where we were both at at the time, if I remember correctly. I mean, it was rough. So but that was not really anyone's fault. Other than well, there was this own. like weird like. They're like use sprockets for for like some stuff, and like no one really understood how that worked. I don't think. And then they're like, but then we have these cool helper things, so you can for certain file types, and it should all just work automatically. And it didn't really, or we just I, I think we may have overcomplicated things and like made it in like not work <laughs> by default. But um, I you know I I don't. Use. I don't think they recommend using sprockets at all if you're going to use SCSS. It's like mixing, because if you want access to any sort of mixins or anything in any of your other, you know, SCSS files, you can't use sprockets because it won't import any of those things. Those uh, okay. those variables and mixins are only available to that individual file. But if you use the import directive instead of sprockets, um, then you get access to everything. Um, so, like a one really cool thing about, um, like you mentioned, foundation before. Uh, one of the really neat features about their the way that they chose to do things is, like, I think Zurb is like totally Ruby on Rails shop, and um, they have written foundation to be like you could use it as mixins one hundred percent, and so in the real world what you would, the way that would look is rather than having, um, you know, non-semantic classes like column and row and column six and column, you know, three, right, or whatever, um, you can uh, write your HTML classes uh, and name them how you want. And then in your CSS, you can say, you know, include column six, right, and it'll pull in all those SCSS styles and apply them to that particular class rather than using the kind of like the pre-built classes. Um, and so some people who are really, you know, into 
semantic naming of their elements. And like, I do that to a certain degree, but, um, in, in, the, in, it, I don't know. I find like in reality, sometimes it's impossible to do that. Like if you're working on like this, like a really big production app that is going out yesterday, like no one gives a crap if your thing is, you know, named what it actually is. Like no one's going to care that there's a column in a row div on there. Um, but you know, I am yay standards and semantics, but, um, <laughs> so, so question, I feel like I yell like 10, if you asked me this question, like, I don't know, six years ago, I would have been like, there's, there's no need for meaningless classes <laughs> and they should just, stay yeah, out well, of our age. Everyone, <laughs> everyone leaves design school with a clear mind exactly, and, a, and, a, yeah. and, a, and a wonderful heart. And then you become hardened. And then the Ruby on rails machine having to produce a product. The, yeah. the man beats you down and says, yeah, well, sorry, you need to do that much quicker. So that's where the beauty of things like bootstrap come in. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm curious a little bit because, yeah. um, you know, I've worked at several places and uh, done some consulting where in the kind of like air quotes solution to this is a style guide, right? Like basically saying like, hey, everyone don't like granted the designers might have to put something hacky in or whatever to kind of make things work. Mm-hmm. But here's kind of like the rules you'll follow. And like some of those rules might be just pulled from whatever framework we chose or if we wrote our own framework, it's just completely open to that. Yeah. But like, you know, don't use color, don't use hex codes, always use color variables or like kind of so on and so forth. Right. I'm curious if you do that in your current uh, work, uh, uh, you know, and kind of like regardless, um, you know, what your feelings are around that as a defensive mechanism to protect against the sort of like, the wild oh crap, the wild developer know, whatever we just have to do <laughs> right like the you know whatever like the styles in the html like you know yeah at the end of the day yeah so the first time i ever implemented bootstrap in a like a work project the reason we did it was to basically standardize like not just the look of things but even like the html structure um and in a way like i kind of see bootstrap as kind of like a generic style guide. Uh, I mean, that's really what it is, right? It's a component library. It's a, you know, it's basically here's the way that you, if you're going to need a button, here's how you should write the HTML. Here's what it's going to look like. And, uh, and that's how you should do it. Um, so we actually at my job, we've written a, I don't want to call it a bootstrap theme because it's not really that. It's <clears throat> it's a sort of forked version of bootstrap, I guess, where we import our own variables and um, and then we add additional components that we've written, uh, like basically on top of the bootstrap library. Um, so th- like those are a bit more like bespoke and they work better for us. Um, but I don't even remember what your original question was. What was um, just like you know, <laughs> like so so you, so you forked it and you kind of you, you you've made it your own for the the use case that you have. Yeah. But like, do you like what? Do you, have you produced like a separate style guide? Like, do you allow your engineers or developers to like work in it? If they do, like, how do you ensure that it's sort of yeah up to your standard? Or is that just not something that you can do yet? You know, would it would it be something that you would you know invest time in? Yeah. So we do have a, a basically uh, it's actually hosted on GitHub Pages because it's super simple to deploy that. It's just a simple Jekyll site, and 
it generates um, documentation that our engineers can go and look at uh, so they can pull down the actual component that they need and just copy and paste. It's almost exactly like the bootstrap documentation, um, you know, but we don't duplicate any of the bootstrap documentation itself. We say, if you need some of the standard stuff, go there first and it'll, you know, it'll work in our design system. It'll just look a little bit different from bootstrap. Um, and the way that we've kind of done it, uh, it, the, when I started, we were right in the middle of redesigning uh, one of our client-facing products. And th- what we kind of did is used that redesign process as a way to develop those new components. Um, and then we kind of like reverse engineered the style guide out of that. Um, and so, because we, we weren't exactly sure how things were going to need to work in our HTML. Um, we were using React, which was pretty new. And so we wrote how we wrote it how we needed to write it in the actual product. And then we said, okay, how can we kind of like, you know, dumb this down or take out the custom parts of it for this particular app and write a component that other parts of our company could use or other products in our company could use. Um, and so we kind of boiled it down to like the base components that, you know, we thought would be shareable and usable by by other teams. Um, but yeah, it's just an open, it's, it's just a, I mean, it's a private repository for our organization and anyone's allowed to contribute to it. Um, they can just open up a pull request. It's a pretty simple, you know, basically every developer on our software team is Ruby on rails. Um, and so it's, a you know, getting a Jekyll site up and running is a matter of minutes. Um, and they can just kind of pull it down, see what they, you know, if they want to add something or if they've added a new component in our, you know, in our consumer product, they can kind of back it into the style guide. And then I usually take a look at it and we deploy it. It's pretty simple and painless process. And it's been a actually really big help. Uh, A lot of our product managers look at it and say, okay, well, here's what we have available already. Is there something on here that we can use for this new feature? Um, You know, so when they're doing their kind of like product planning, um, it helps even at that level. So it's been really nice. Interesting. Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, know, GitHub has something like that, right? Like their primer yeah, or yeah, primer, yeah. depending on what, yeah, the primer and, um, <laughs> there's like a, <laughs> there, we, we have like a style guide that the, like the design systems team, uh, works on. And, and so, but I, I think, I think the interesting thing is kind of more, uh, in your world where you have like multiple products, yeah, you know, yeah, like in our, like in, a, in the previous life, um, uh, where we were uh, white label, uh, we worked at a white label uh, software as a service product. Mm-hmm. You know, the like sort of style guide was crucial because you needed to be able to um, color like the site. You know, you need to be able to brand the site for the for the customer. Yeah. And so, like, if someone used the hex code, it was obvious. You know, whereas other like whereas in a lot of other cases, it's like the purity of things would just be broken, but you wouldn't notice it until you did a rebranding, and those don't happen as frequently as you need to rebrand a site for a white label product. Right. Um. And, and, and my impression is that's something that you are doing currently, or that the company you work for currently does, or we do a little bit of yeah, we do a little bit of like white labeling, but at you know at this point, like in in that particular product's life, it's not to the point where we're allowing them to do a ton of like color customization anyway. Um, 
But man, those tools like SCSS make it a heck of a lot easier than it used to be <laughs> to do stuff like that. Yeah. But the style yeah. guide is something that's really cool because we can share it with, you know, partners like white label partners and say like, hey, here's what it's going to look like. You know, here's the things that you can change. And if we really needed to, we could just do a couple variable changes and generate a brand new style guide out for them and say, here's what your version is going to look like. Um, you know, and it, it might not be, you know, the complete app, but they can see the different pieces of it and the, you know, the color swatches and the icons and everything like that. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a really useful tool that, that we've been using. Awesome. So if you were to start a new project today, how would you structure, uh, the CSS and Ugh. like what, maybe what library would you use <laughs> or would you just not, would you build a mobile app instead? <laughs> oh, I definitely would not do that. Um, oh yeah. I mean, especially given iOS, iOS 11 coming out and there are oh, oh, so much new stuff to learn. Um, how would I structure the CSS? Man, this is something that I struggle with like constantly. There's, I mean, there's a ton of different kind of methodologies behind doing it, mm -hmm. right? Like, like the BEM and Smacks and all these other, they're really just ways to organize your CSS, right? And, and, and standards to live by. Because we use Bootstrap so much as kind of like the baseline, we just kind of try to mimic the way that Bootstrap names does its naming conventions and things like that. So theirs is almost like a... It's not like object-oriented CSS, like Nicole Sullivan's thing, um, but it's close. Um, and actually, the new version of Bootstrap is is like moving closer to that. I think they're doing a better job naming it. But as far as like the folder structure and stuff like that, we typically will do something like, uh, you know, we'll have like our glo we'll import like our global um, style guide stuff first, um, and then. We do um, we do like generic. Uh, oh, let me think about this. Yeah, we'll do like <laughs> like generic sections of the app, and then components of the app, and then um, and then uh, um, like uh, different statuses of that component. That's not the word I'm thinking of, but modifiers, I guess. Um, so it's a little bit like the BEM methodology. So you get more specific as you as you kind of go down the CSS line. Um, so the the very last stuff is the most specific um, CSS that you would write and, and it would be like the different uh, variations of a button or the different variations of your search widget. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I don't know, the, the way that we, we don't put, a, we don't put a ton of time into like having an immaculate CSS structure, because uh, do you think you would if you had more designers? Like, do you think it's a, a resource um, limitation, or do you think it's just a like a value limit, like a value thing? It's like we're getting the value we need out of this. It's as malleable as we need. Let's not go crazy. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I think so. The way that, that that's why I'm here. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you're asking the tough ones. Um, the way that our team is structured. Uh, I don't know that like there's a, there's a small team of like front end engineers that kind of work on, you know, obviously the front end stuff. Um, 
And so I don't know that if we had more designers, I would uh, necessarily do that. But yeah, I be, I think I would, me being anal retentive about that sort of stuff, I think I would I would probably try to do a better job of keeping things organized and well-documented. Um, I just, right now, uh, because I am responsible for a bunch of different things, it's not, you know, yeah. it's not a high priority. Um, sure. And I'm not dealing with like the day-to-day development in engineering. So, uh, so it's really, I don't really touch that part of it as much. I'm a little bit more on like the philosophical side of things. <laughs> Maybe not sure. philosophical, but... <laughs> But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. Uh, anything else going on in in your world right now you want to share with the share with the group? Um. Yeah. Oh, I totally. We've been painting kitchen cabinets. How's that going? Uh, it's actually turned. You, you should put it on your blog so that <laughs> someone else will learn how to do it the right way. I don't know that we're doing it the right way, but we're <laughs> they're turning out nice. I mean, it's yeah. Awesome. I'm finding myself like being interested in a lot of things I never thought I would be interested in now that we're homeowners. Um, yeah. Things like uh, like attic truss design, for instance, because if you want to <laughs> move, if you if you want to move a wall, you got to know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to make sure those trusses can support it. Oh man, I'm lucky that I have a. Uh, I'm lucky that I have a, a structural engineer for a brother. Uh, but yeah, yeah cheater. <laughs> well, yeah, I still can't cheat like the government <laughs> out of their, uh, <laughs> they'll get you. <laughs> yeah. So let's actually, we should probably uh, edit this part out so that they don't know that. Yeah. I plan <laughs> <on> that. <laughs> This is all hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> that wall was always there. It was always not oh, there. Man. Don't worry. My roof has always had that sag in it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? How has like, you're, are you still on, uh, are you still on paternity nope. leave? Nope, I am back. I am back in action, preparing for uh, GitHub Satellite October tenth through twelfth. Very nice. Um, yeah, so no, back back at work. Little dudes doing great. Uh, families getting used to the new normal. Um, yeah, I mean, no cabinet painting over here. We're kind of running out of projects. <laughs> Fall is coming. Running so out of projects. Wow. Well, I don't. I don't want to say that. It's just like with fall coming, like the number of projects in which you're willing to start and then not work on for you know three months yeah, and then finish totally. in a rush before fall comes mm-hmm. kind of goes down. So just kind of preparing for fall and and uh, and uh, the tropical storms coming up this way, battening battening down some of the the, the, the loose hatches uh, mm. since it looks like we'll get some leftovers, but not as bad, as, not nearly as bad as everyone else. So yeah, um, we're lucky there. But but yeah, cool. no kind of normal stuff. You should come out to San Francisco for uh, Universe. When is it's it? Be good. October tenth through twelfth. And where can people find right more information? <laughs> I'm assuming uh, GitHubUniverse.com. Something but, like that. <laughs> yeah, Google it. Are you are you giving a talk? Uh, I am giving a talk. I'm giving a talk at GitHub Universe, and then we have an invite only platform day whoa, ahead of time um, that we talk to our integrators and partners and people from the community who build the platform. So doing a lot more stuff at that. But nice. Um, but yeah, this will be the third year in a row, and then I think they officially put me out to pasture uh, from <laughs> a talking perspective. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, let's uh, let's do this again in a couple of weeks. What do you say? Yeah, I we need to get rolling on now that the uh, sporting clays season is officially over. Uh, it's time to start working on some uh, scoring applications for that. the app. Yeah, yeah, 
And also, now and that you're back at work, perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I, then, now that I have opened my laptop again, I am, I am back at it. <laughs> All right. Hey, man. Well, thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon.